Let's uh, pray together as we come before the Lord and continue to worship Him. Father, You are a great God. We recognize this um, because of what You have done in our lives, because of the transformation of our hearts, because of Your Son, our Savior. And we just trust as we move through this very special time of the year that you would help us to remain focused on you, to maybe even be more profoundly focused on you, to know who you are as our God, as our Savior, as our Lord, as our guide through each day. And we pray that our hearts, our minds, our voices would be lifted up to worship you and praise you for who you are and what you've done. And that there would be a testimony in the world, even today, a world that has in many ways forsaken you. A testimony from us of who you really are. So just guide us, we pray, as we look into your word right now. Teach us. And uh, we will honor you and glorify you through our response from your word. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Well, I've already failed. I forgot to tell the kids to leave for Sunday school, but they're gone. So somebody didn't fall asleep at the switch. Last week, we uh, took a page out of the Apostle Paul's uh, playbook, and we committed to Know nothing except Jesus Christ and Him crucified during this, this holiday season. And what a, a good focus to have. Jesus Christ and Him crucified. He apparently went into the Corinthian people. We saw in 1 Corinthians chapter 2 last week. He went into them with an elemental, unadorned, bare bones message of the gospel. As we said, he went in and he spoke the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth. And we could see why that would be important to them then. Uh, They needed Christ. They needed uh, the Lord to save them. And it's even important to us right now in the world we live in. Well, we can get distracted, even ourselves here in the church, focusing on non-essentials. Even good things, good things that are of a lower priority and we forget to focus on Christ. We can miss out on the powerful message of the gospel that will bring him glory when it is presented without being tweaked by our human strategies. And we remember that verse from Romans chapter 1 verse 16 where Paul says, I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ For it is the power of God for salvation to to everyone who believes. And we understand that it's more about divine communication than it is about our strategy or our salesmanship. It's about God communicating His truth. God revealing His truth to us in this world. And that's really um, my prayer as we, we go into this message this morning that... God will open our hearts just as I was preparing this week, just thinking more and challenged more about the, the fact that it's, you know, more beyond my preparation. It's got to be God speaking to people's hearts. 
Uh, we need to come with hearts open and, and ready to hear from him the particular application of the truth that he is, is presenting. So as promised, we're going to go through those three questions. We begin on this Palm Sunday with the first of our three questions. Why did Jesus have to come? And as I said, we need to limit ourselves. And this seems pretty basic, pretty limiting. Why did Jesus have to come into the world? I mean, that sounds like a question that we should be able to answer in about five minutes. So we'll wrap this up quickly and, and we'll be out of here, okay? Do you believe me? No, you don't. That's why you're looking so apprehensive out there. Well, you know, I started to think about that, started to do some reading, some poking around, and I came across uh, a post on the the internet by a guy named Kevin Holleran, and it was 31 reasons why Jesus came. And then there's Piper's book that I've been carrying around for the last few weeks, reading away at 50 reasons why Jesus came. And so quickly we begin to understand that this is beyond the scope of what we can deal with today, this morning. Everything, every reason as far as why Jesus came. And so I thought this morning then what we need to do maybe is go back to the classic Palm Sunday passage. And that's where we're going to be this morning. Matthew chapter 21. You see, even when it comes to Palm Sunday, Jesus' triumphal entry into Jerusalem, it is recorded in all four Gospels. There aren't many events in Jesus' life and ministry that are recorded in every gospel but this is one of them so we think well it's an important one and we can say well what are we going to do try and go through all of them no my simple logic is Matthew is first so we go to Matthew Matthew chapter 21 and we I started to read through this and consider it meditate on it think about it and as I did this as I tried to answer that question as I even read through the different scriptures that were presented in the 31 reasons why Jesus came, I was amazed at how everything sort of comes together, how everything fits, how there's an order. And as I read through those 31 reasons, the different scriptures, I came across this fact, that there are three different categories of reasons as to why Jesus came. Revelation is the first one. Representation and reconciliation. Every reason why Jesus came fits in under one of those three headings. And you know, as I thought about it, I thought, you know, the reason that Jesus came was to fulfill roles, different roles. And we think about that. We think about how he came to be prophet, priest, and king. And that lines up with the idea of represent or revelation, representation, and reconciliation. And everything started to come together in my mind in, in a chart-type form, and maybe I'll reveal that chart to you some week in the future, but for right now, we'll just leave it off to the side and think, I just wanted to say this has been so amazing for me as I've read through this this week. First of all, reading through those scriptures and thinking of it, the revelation that Jesus came to give. 
We know the John 18, 37 passage. I have come to bear witness of the truth. That's what Jesus said to Pilate just before he dies. My purpose in coming was to bear witness, to reveal truth. He says in Luke 4, I came to preach. John 12, to bring light. And that classic passage from John chapter 1, in the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, the Word was God. He came to reveal who God is. And from there, we, we move beyond simply revelation, we move, move into the section of, of, of representation. Jesus came to represent God. God to the world. And we think about that. He says in John 6, I have come to do God's will, to work out God's purposes, to show them to the world. And then it says in Hebrews that he came to be our high priest. We sang about that already this morning. And then we start to realize this representation isn't simply God to us, but it's also us to God. And we think about that. He said in Mark 10, I've come to give my life a ransom for many. The high priest offering the sacrifice, but the sacrifice is himself. But more about that later in the coming week. And from there, that verse transitions us beautifully into this idea of reconciliation. Jesus came to represent us so that he could reconcile our relationship with God. He says, I have come that they might have life and they might have it more abundantly, John 10, 10. I came into the world to save sinners. First Timothy, Paul tells us that. To seek and to save the lost, Luke 19. Luke 4, to bind up the broken hearted. And so as we look at every reference in the scripture, I believe, I haven't looked at every reference in the scripture, but they fit nicely under these three categories of revelation, representation, and reconciliation. Some of them fit kind of under two categories. But you, you don't find anything. I didn't find anything going off in some other direction. And so we begin to have a better idea of what it was Jesus was doing when he came. And as I said, prophet, priest, and king. And they line up perfectly. We think of how God, God bridged the gap between himself and the people of the world. The prophets were sharing his truth with his people. We think about a couple of prime examples. Moses. Moses was a prophetic leader. Elijah, another great prophet. They came to bring the word of the Lord, and of course there were many others. And then we think about priests. The priest, the representative of God to the people, the people to God. A couple of big examples, Aaron, Samuel, and then the kings, David, Solomon. People put in place by God to lead, lead his people in a godly way. They bridge the gap. And these are 
a few of the best human examples. But when the Lord Jesus Christ came to take on these roles, to accomplish the purposes of revelation, representation, and reconciliation, he did it perfectly. It was a three-in-one that actually worked. And you think of it, all of those gizmos that people invent, invent that do more than one job. Men, that table saw that becomes a planer and a drill and all. It doesn't do any of those jobs well. It just does them all. Or women, maybe there's something in the kitchen that you bought once that was a, a many-functioning different thing. And, and it doesn't do any of the jobs well. But this is different. When Jesus Christ came to be prophet, priest, and king, he did every one of those roles better than they had ever been done before. He was the one who came to answer all of the questions. And so our passage today, as I started to read I started to see, I I can't even tell you how this came together, but just in terms of going from one thing to the other and reading and thinking, and and it was like, wow, this is perfect. This whole event fits perfectly under this category of Jesus coming as prophet. It even says it there. This is perfect in terms of Jesus' revelation, his coming out before God's people as the one who God sent to be the redeemer of the world. And this is what happens in this passage as we read through it. Jesus came prophesying. He came prophesying, first of all, foretelling future events. Jesus has come as foretold by the prophets, and Jesus comes as the very fulfillment of those prophecies that were given. So let's start reading this passage together and let's understand or see what is being uh, presented to us here. It says in Matthew 21, verse 1, Now when they drew near to Jerusalem and came to Bethphage, just outside of Jerusalem, to the Mount of Olives, then Jesus sent two disciples, saying to them, Go into the village in front of you, and immediately you'll find a donkey tied and a colt with her. Untie them and bring them to me. If anyone says anything to you, you shall say, the Lord needs them. And he will send them at once. This took place to fulfill what was spoken by the... Oh, I didn't want to read any further. So first of all, what we have is Jesus coming and prophesying. To set the stage for where we're at, we need to remember, this is the end of Jesus' ministry. Okay, this is, this is the end of his time here. And what he has done already in terms of revelation through his words, through his acts, through his person, were absolutely necessary as we come up to what is about to happen next. Him coming into Jerusalem would have been meaningless without all that he had done before. This is the pinnacle event in terms of his coming his arrival in fact the manger the manger really was less of a priority 
I mean, he had to get into the world. He had to be born. But in terms of importance, this is Jesus Christ not slipping into the world as a baby, but this is him coming as king. This is primary. And the people knew it. The people recognized it. In fact, they had tried to force him earlier on. You remember after the feeding, the multitude of people? They tried to force him to be king. And Jesus slipped away. He said, no, it's, it's not the right time. I'm not supposed to be presented as king at this moment. And so here he is. Here he is coming to Jerusalem, the capital of the earthly kingdom, the people of God. He was presenting himself in that capital as king of the Jews. The people recognized it. They said, this is it messianic fulfillment and this all sounds good except those who want to kill Jerusalem or Jesus are also Jerusalem it's their center of power this same city but at leading up to this event it says that Jesus set his face like a flint toward Jerusalem he knew this was the time he knew this was the time for the big reveal to show himself to present himself to allow himself to be known and to be known as the Messiah the one sent from God to redeem his people and in the midst of this We have his disciples, and they know that this can't turn out well. And they're concerned. We've got Thomas. He's kind of like the Eeyore of the group. He says, well, I guess we'll all go get killed then. You remember him saying that? That was in, in John 11. He says, you know, here, here we go. This is it. And in this cesspool of, of apprehension, you know, when everybody's uneasy and they're thinking this is, this is not a good idea, Jesus began to prophesy. He says, okay, you guys go there. This is what you're going to find. This is what's going to happen. And he begins to, this is low-level prophecy, but he begins to tell them what is going to happen next. It's kind of a superficial sort of thing. But you can imagine the confidence that the disciples were getting as, wow, things are falling into place. Things are happening just as he said. And as I said, this is, this is low level. This is the shallowest form of prophetic statement. But it's the kind our human nature longs for isn't it? That's why people read horoscopes. They want to know what's going to happen next. And of course, those horoscopes are all a big sham. They say general statements that if you think hard enough, you can think, oh, yeah, I guess maybe that did happen. Or it, no, Jesus didn't make generalizations. He said, this is going to happen. Then this is going to happen. He even said, you know what? When the owner questions you, 
say this. He knew what to say, and the owner was going to go, okay, go ahead, take my donkey. And I say, this is the sort of thing we long for. We, we want to know. We, we're not really that concerned about deep, eternal truths. We want to know how to invest our money to make money, right? Or something like that. What car should I buy? What should I have for lunch? And we wish that somebody would give us all of these tips on what's going to happen tomorrow. And you think, well, what was the purpose in what Jesus was doing right now? Well, in a very simple sense, he was showing his disciples in this very tense time, once again, that he was the man. He was prophesying. He was saying things that would remind his disciples that he wasn't just a, a good prophet. He wasn't just giving, you know, sort of far off, uh, mystical sort of things that they would have to think about and try and figure out how does that really apply. He was saying right here and now, this is what's going to happen. It's going to be thus and so, and it was thus and so. He was the one who knew everything. He knew man's hearts. We read that back in John chapter 2. It says the people believed in him because of the signs he did, but it says Jesus didn't, wasn't confident in them because he knew men's hearts. This was the one, he was the one who knew God's heart. He knew God's will. He knew what God wanted done and how he wanted it accomplished. It says in John 10, I and the Father are one. He was more than just a prophet. He was the one who was prophesied about all through the Old Testament. And as we move into these next verses, let's start at verse 4. It says, this took place to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet saying this whole event had to do with something that was said back in the old testament it says say to the daughter of zion behold your king is coming to you humble and mounted on a donkey on a colt the foal of a beast of burden the disciples went and did as jesus had directed them jesus is come as foretold by the prophets of history. Here's one of those monumental, mysteriously veiled statements of which we spoke of before. Nestled into the writings of the prophet Zechariah, chapter 9, verse 9, and here unfolding before the disciples. It's much more important, this prophecy, than the simple statements that Jesus was making about what would happen next. This prophecy, this prophecy reveals the depth of the long-range planning and purposes of God. God knew what he was doing long before it happened. In fact, the reference given is often before the foundations of the world. You know, you think of an eternal, 
absolutely sovereign being. It's not like, you know, one day he decided he was going to do things in this way. That's the way our minds work, linear, in a linear way, you know. And then I figured this out and he always knew. He always knew what his plan was going to be. And at different points in time, he gives a little open window so we can, we can see at least, and maybe not understand everything, but we can see that he already knew, that he had a plan, that he was in control of everything that was taking place. And so this is what we see happening here. Jesus riding in to Jerusalem on this donkey. He was God's man. They wanted to crown Jesus before, but it wasn't something they were in control of. But now Jesus had come. Jesus had present, was presenting himself on his own. He humbled himself to take on this responsibility of being their representative before God. He was taking on the role, but not in the way that they thought it should be played out eventually. It's a strange way to our thinking to see him presenting himself as, as their king riding on a donkey. But there's a symbolic implication here we, we studied this somewhat in the Gospel of Mark in our Thursday night Bible study a while back. And as we go back into the Old Testament, we see that royalty rode on donkeys in times of peace. They're apparently a fairly comfortable ride. And uh, they're the vehicle of choice when you're not at war. It's sort of the difference between a leader of a country riding in a tank and the leader of a country waving from the back of a convertible. We recognize the difference. Uh, you know, celebration, the presentation to the people, uh, a time of peace. He's sitting in the back of the convertible. Everything's good. And that's what Jesus was trying to communicate here. A time of peace. A time of peace, peace with, with God, peace from God, peace for the people, modeled for them by, by him. He was the one who came into the world. He lived righteously. And now he was going to die for our unrighteousness. Peace was as good as made. It says in Romans 5, justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. He was representing us before God and he was going to die in our place and, and that great exchange was going to take place. Have you been working on your verse? 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21. Oh, some of you have. That's nice. But he made him to be sin who knew no sin 
that in him we might be made the righteousness of God. You know, I messed that up, didn't I? But he made him to be sin. But he made him to be sin, him who knew no sin. Ah, to be sin for us so that we might become the righteousness of God in him. Thank you for that. The great exchange. This is why Jesus came. And this was what was being revealed here at this moment. Even as Jesus presented himself as representation. Our representation. In the final section, Jesus comes as a fulfillment of those prophecies. Let's continue reading verse 7. It says, They brought the donkey and the colt and put on them their cloaks, and he sat on them. Most of the crowd spread their cloaks on the road, and the others cut branches from trees and spread them on the road. Everybody had their job. (laughs) Seems they all knew what was going on. And the crowds that went before him and that followed him were shouting, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. And when he entered Jerusalem, the whole city was stirred up saying, who is this? And the crowd said, this is the prophet Jesus from Nazareth of Galilee. This whole scene played out and it was clear that it was not just the event that the people were reveling in. It wasn't just that, oh, this is what we should do next. This was our part. This is, it was not simply a fulfillment of prophecy, but the focus was completely on Jesus Christ. He was the fulfillment. The donkey was prepared for him. The road was strewn with festive branches for him. The people were calling out to him. Hosanna. And I think sometimes, I know this is the way I grew up thinking this. We, we get the terms Hosanna and Hallelujah mixed up. What did Hosanna mean? It's the first words of the psalm we read last week. 118, verse 25. It wasn't a Hosanna. It was a cry for help. It means Save us. Save us now. And that's what these people were crying out. There were people who felt all the the physical oppression of Rome on them. They were a people who were, were ready to cry out in desperation that way. And maybe they didn't have a complete understanding of the redemption that was coming in Jesus Christ. But what they were feeling set the stage and communicated the message that this was their Savior. He was their only hope. And so they cried out to him, save us. And it wasn't so much a celebration as a, as a, a pleading a pleading for him to redeem them, to help them, to save them. He was the Messiah sent from God. They communicated that. 
Yeah, Hosanna to the son of David. The one who had right to be king. Hosanna in the highest. Glory to God in the highest was said when he came to this earth. And here as he's presenting himself a king, they they just say, help us. To the highest heavens. That's the idea that's being communicated. This isn't somebody who is just coming, maybe, and like I said, I don't know that they understood the implications of what even they were saying. But it's like beyond helping us out with our financial and political issues. Help us to the highest. Be our absolute Savior. Be our eternal Savior. The prophet Jesus. The Jesus who was prophesied of. The Jesus, this Jesus was the very fulfillment of the prophecies. It says as they moved into the city, there were people who weren't aware of what's going on and they were going, you know, what's all the commotion? Who is this? And it's interesting the answer they give. This is the prophet, Jesus. Which speaks of revelation. Communication of truth from God to his people. But you know it had very special, special significance as well. Because we even go back to the very beginning of this people of God. As they're taken out of Egypt, as they that whole event pictures redemption, being redeemed out of the slavery of Egypt, redeemed out of the slavery of our sin. There was a very special prophet there, Moses. He was the mouth of God. Wow. <laughs> like very few others had ever been. He went up on Sinai. He met with God. God spoke to him. He, he gave the Ten Commandments, that reflection of who God is, his character to his people. They were just cold stone tablets. Here Jesus reflected who God was in the flesh. Himself. And at that time back in Deuteronomy chapter 15 verse 18. Moses said to the people. One day God will raise up a prophet like me. Someone to reveal truth. To reveal who God is to his people. To be the vehicle of their salvation. And this is what he said next. You must listen to him. You must listen to him. 
He'll be a prophet like me. The vehicle of salvation. He'll come to communicate God's truth. And Moses didn't know when that was going to happen. Didn't know how that was going to happen. Perhaps he even thought his life would end. These people would go on and and it would happen then. But those were his words. Those were his words to God's people in that time. And so those words communicate to you and I right now. Listen to him. He was the legitimate heir, the son of David. Would they listen? Will we listen to what is being revealed? Will we accept that this Jesus came to reveal God's truth to us through his words, through his actions, through indeed his very life? That he is the very truth, the God-man, our Savior. Will we follow through and will we respond correctly to Moses' command? Listen to what Jesus says. I've come to bear witness of the truth, to reveal the Father, to give my life as ransom for many. I've come to seek and to save so that you might have abundant life in me. Come follow me. A whole lot of those truths that Jesus spoke so clearly to us all strung together. How will we respond Not simply a a festive celebration, but will we give our lives to follow the one who gave his life for us? What would that look like if someone believed, truly believed, that Jesus Christ was the eternal Savior of the world? Well, we're the ones who are supposed to be reflecting that through our lives, revealing that to the world around us today. Heavenly Father, thank you. Thank you for your word, your truth, presented to us in stories, in events, in truths from your word. And struck profoundly into our hearts by the power of your spirit. I pray that this study this morning would not be an end in itself, but be one that resounds in our hearts and lives throughout this week. That we would walk in awe of you, the one who came. That we would understand why you came to reveal our God and our Savior to us, to be our salvation. And Lord, I pray that we would respond, that we would celebrate, that we would worship. 
and also through our actions that we would allow you to work through us to continue to reveal yourself to this world through our obedience through a transformed life to a life that is continually lived with a focus on who you are the Christ the Savior of the world, our Savior. Amen.